Rated M for Mecca. Welcome to Buildcasters, the podcast that's all mecha, all the time. I'm the Macabre Chap, and today I'm joined by a guest. Please introduce yourself. I'm Jamal, host of the Get In The Mecha podcast. And today on Buildcasters, we are going to discuss Makoto Shinkai's 2002 OVA, Hoshi no Koe, or in English, Voices of a Distant Star. But first, what we're going to do is talk to our guest, get some background on him, how he got into anime, so on and so forth. Um, so, Jamal, would you like to tell us about how you basically first came across this weeb shit? How'd you become an otaku, man? Oh, sure. So the main thing is really, it all started from Naruto. I began with the Naruto manga, I think, when I was in about year nine or something like that. And then... I just enjoyed it. I have like three three in one volumes of the whole manga. I really enjoyed it. I skipped straight to Shippuden because I could predict what it was all about. I watched Shippuden for about two years and then I just started watching more and more things like it. And then I started deviating into different genres. I watched a bunch of harem anime, which I speak about quite a lot. I watched Mecha, obviously, and just a few more things. And I really enjoy it. And here I am now, I guess. Nice. So I grew up on Toonami. Um, I was born in 1992. I'm 27. Was Toonami something you were familiar with growing up? I mean, I don't know how old you are. I assume you're Gen Z though. Yes, <laughs> I'm a Zoomer. Um, Toonami, I'm familiar with it, but we never actually had the channel on our TV. So it was mostly just Cartoon Network and Disney XD. But honestly, I didn't actually watch much anime on TV, if anything. That's wild because my experience was completely different. It's basically funny how there's such a gulf between millennial otaku and Gen Z otaku. Mm -hmm. Like, because we actually regularly had, like, dubs of anime airing on television. Um, Obviously, you're from the UK, so you'll know that Toonami was actually a channel over here. Before they started showing stupid live-action stuff (laughs) towards the end of their tenure, before they shut down, we used to regularly get, obviously, English dubs of anime on that channel. Mm Mm-hmm. Anime also used to come on Fox Kids, which was a thing before Jetix and then Disney XD. We also used to get anime on Sky One. Yu-Gi-Oh! used to air on Sky One. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I knew that one. Beyblade used to air on Nickelodeon. Cardcaptor Sakura used to air on Nickelodeon. Well, the English dub, anyway. So, yeah, like, we were kind of sport for choice when it comes to anime as a millennial. We actually had a network on Sky Digital that aired anime. I think it was called Anime Central. It was in them, like, maybe mid-2000s. So stuff like Git Sack, Ghost in the Shell, Standalone Complex actually aired on UK television. Obviously, this was late at night, but still, we were really, really, really fortunate. I mean, obviously, you guys have the internet. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Really lucky. And illegal streaming and so on and so forth. Like, Nine Anime and Kiss Anime and other streaming sites are available and so on and so forth. I mean, like, how do you find consuming anime as a Zoomer? I actually kind of enjoy it. I'm very new to the seasonal thing, so there's a lot of anime that comes every few months, 
And that wasn't me for a long time. I would kind of just watch what I wanted to when I wanted to, which is also really cool. But when when I started to find out about seasonal anime about two years ago, I was like, wow, there's actually so much more anime than I thought besides, you know, your classic battle shonens and all that. So it's it's kind of cool how the internet lets us view all these things really quickly. And we basically get a whole package of things to watch all the time. So... I, I guess that's a lot different to your experience where you just had the TV and what was on was on. We get loads of new things all the time, which I, I find really cool. So I had the television, but obviously the internet was still a thing when I was younger in the early to mid 2000s. Oh, sure. Yeah. Um, so fan subs did exist, but as I covered it on a previous episode on um, Bill Custer's Guide and what used to happen, how I mainly used to get like the hot new shows is that my cousin had like a really fast internet connection. So he would download the fan subs for me and then he would give them to me, burn onto DVDs and I would then watch them on my computer. Oh, wow. <laughs> he was basically like a drug dealer. I was like, yo, you got any new shows? Oh, here's Welcome to the NHK. <laughs> he was delivering product to the fiends the fiends being me this nerdy little like 13 14 year old otaku the mid 2000s as an otaku were wild wild in the sense that even though like we had the internet and torrenting was a big thing i still consumed shows on physical media whereas that is just not the done thing nowadays everybody streams mm-hmm if you don't want to pay for Netflix or Crunchyroll or whatever, you will still stream, just obviously less legally. Yeah, for sure. Support the legal release if you have money to pay for the myriad streaming options. There are way too many streaming services. So yeah, in terms of like anime, how have your tastes changed over the years? Are the genres that you are into, have they changed in any way like you say that you started primarily on battle shonen have your taste diversified as you've gotten older for sure i I would say less of because of me getting older and just becoming more acceptable or or more accepting of what anime is and i i want to say that i i feel like i've become more degenerate (laughs) i i don't know how that sounds but i've just been watching loads of weird things or just things that i wouldn't consider I would ever watch about a few years ago. So I watch almost a harem anime every season. I watch harem anime when it's not even seasonal. And I think I've become a bit more of a hipster as well. I don't know whether that's a good thing. And I know there are a lot of like stereotypes which come with that, but I've been watching a lot of short films and just trying to understand the medium a bit more. And throughout that quest have become basically a degenerate at this point. <laughs> But I, I just have fun with it. Of course. Why not try something new for the sake of it? And there are a lot of people that try to, you know, safeguard their tastes. But there really isn't no point. I don't think many people are judging one on whatever they're watching. So I kind of just see it like that and watch whatever I want to, when I want to. Yeah, for sure, for sure. I guess as you get older, one's tastes change. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. I started primarily on battle shonen kind of so obviously when i was younger pokemon was airing digimon was airing gundam wing was airing oh yeah <laughs> which is the anime that tipped me over the edge into full otakudom gundam wing was my gateway drug hence why the new Buildcasters logo um i changed it from the rx78 to to the head of the wing gundam zero 
because obviously in the West, the wing Gundam is more recognizable than the RX-78 too, arguably, to just like general normies. So yeah. Did you watch any Gundam coming up? Oh no, Gundam wouldn't have been airing in the UK as you were growing up. What would it have? Yeah. <laughs> Gundam's not something that I was very aware of at all as a child. If anything, the closest thing, which I'm sure most people know is Power Rangers and the Mechas, which came from that. But besides that and Saban, I didn't really know anything to do with Mecha. Wait, did you watch Power Rangers as a kid? Um, yes. I watched Power Rangers RPG, Power Rangers Samurai, and those sorts of ones. Yeah. Oh, you grew up in the Neo Saban era. Power Rangers RPM. Yeah, because I don't know if you know this, but me and my co-host, Sentai 5, are actually primarily Tokusatsu fans. Ah, okay. So we, <laughs> so we basically got into online fandom through our love of Power Rangers. Obviously, being an anime otaku has kind of taken over for me as I've gotten older. I still watch Toku. Like, I will still watch Super Sentai, which Power Rangers is derived from, and Kamen Rider and Ultraman. I'm still, like, into it, but I'm not into it as much as I am into anime. Yeah. I mean, like, growing up, my two passions kind of switched around. Obviously, being a Toku fan is much more niche than being an anime fan. As I've gotten older, I've just become more and more enthralled with anime. So yeah, you sound like an interesting individual and getting the perspective from someone who's actually a Zoomer is actually really, really intriguing because like a lot of older generations will lump millennials and Zoomers together Yeah. in terms of their lived experience and so on and so forth. But what people don't actually realize is that there are myriad differences between the two generations and especially like how the two generations experience and critically analyze popular culture yeah so getting that perspective from you was actually really really intriguing so now what we're going to do is we are going to discuss the main topic makoto shinkai's 2002 original video animation hoshino koe or as known in english voices of a distant star so jamal um first of all since you're the guest would you like to give us some background information on how shinkai basically developed the animation just a general outline of the plot and just like your general thoughts kind of and then we can develop the discussion from there oh uh, sure yeah so makoto shinkai's hoshinoko was developed in 2002 and the most interesting thing about it is that it was made completely by him. Besides the music, this is completely animated and produced and directed by him alone. And it's one of his earliest works. I believe this was his second work, his first work coming out in 1999. And so the basis of the plot is that it's this long distance romance between two characters, Mikako and Noburu. And that's most of it really. There's we're in the year 2046 and this race known as the Tarsians, which comes from Mars, are trying to defend this ancient or broken down civilization over there. And yeah, I, th I think that's most of it. I like the, uh, I basically call it a film. I like most of it. For its time, it looks quite good. And when you consider that it was only him that worked on it, I think it's pretty good. And I like the themes a lot. I would definitely agree with you. I feel like Hoshino Koei is a great, great, great original video animation. I feel mm -hmm. that its greatest strength is that it has a fully realized narrative 
in the space of 25 minutes. I really, really enjoyed that. Like it tells an entire story like of great breadth and scope, but manages to do it in 25 minutes. I feel like Makoto Shinkai's greatest strength as a creator of anime is as a storyteller. In terms of developing narratives, I feel like he's kind of peerless. I don't think that there's any writer in anime right now that's working in anime right now who can develop a fully realized narrative as well as he can. And it's apparent in his earliest work. I would, I would agree on the most part, yeah. I, I would, me being just a bit of a contrarian, I, I would maybe bring in Masaki Yusa, but I agree on the most part that yes, Makoto Shinkai is a beautiful director and he knows how to just wrap things up so quickly. So recently the dub for Weathering With You came out over here in the UK and I believe that's almost two hours of a film and even what's at Kimi no Nawa, which go on for even longer. But if you look further back from that, you can see that he even has a lot of short films ranging from like 10 minutes and then Hoshinoko being 25. And yeah, he's basically proven that throughout his career that he can work with different time lengths and time spans to create different stories which have different messages. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that's his greatest talent as a interpreter of time in relation to narratives and how to weave a narrative within a constricted amount of time. Yeah. So yes, just some stray observations I had on Hoshino Koe while I was watching. So I said that the animation was like decidedly amateur, but was fantastic considering that he single-handedly animated it on a Power Mac G4 using Photoshop 5. God knows what CS we're up to now. We're into like years or whatever. Um, he used Lightwave. He used After Effects 4.1 and Commotion DV, which is like, I think, an animation effects piece of software. As a Zoomer, a lot of this doesn't make sense to me because I, I hear of these old Photoshops and Premieres and After Effects and the oldest version I've used like CS5 or CS4. So it, it sounds kind of weird to me, but it's really impressive to show what he's able to do. I mean, obviously the animation looks a bit static as it were yeah in comparison to the fluid motion of comparative works from like bones and gonzo at the time oh yeah however considering that obviously he animated it himself it is absolutely fantastic and what is the best thing about it for me i know some people are kind of like meh on computer generated animation but for me the mecha sequences in hoshino koe are absolutely fantastic like, I absolutely loved them, considering that he animated them himself. And the mecha design, don't even get me started on the mecha design in Hoshinoko. I love it. I absolutely love it. Yeah. With some of the designs, so the Farsian design, I think it's the one on Mars. It actually gets quite deep because it actually seems to have blood within it. And I, I was thinking a lot of Eva and how you get the berserk modes of the Evangelion. Yeah. And... He has those different layers. He's able to mix and match the traditional mecha with what seems to be almost a blood-infused mecha, which I found quite interesting. So like biological mecha. Yeah, because the Tarsians, now that you mention it, do seem kind of angel-esque in the way that they move and operate. 
Yeah. They look very, very unnerving as well. So when I saw all those tentacles and I saw them embracing and engulfing Mekako's Mecha, I felt kind of unsettled to an extent. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I think the metal effect, something that I think are a lot harder to create on 2D software, it gives it that depth as well when it's yeah. surrounding it. It just feels otherworldly in comparison to like the sort of normal textures you would get on a regular Mecha. Absolutely. Absolutely, I completely agree. So what I enjoyed most about Hoshino Koe was how the expanse of space and her getting further and further away like in terms of distance was used as a metaphor for the emotional drifting apart of two lovers. Oh yeah, I really liked that as well. I thought that was a very powerful theme. I also enjoyed how towards the end it kind of ended on a positive note in that both lovers came to the resolution that possibly their thoughts and feelings could even traverse the expanse of time and space. That is what I really enjoyed. I mean, I feel like in the context of real life, that's a little bit of an idealistic way to look at love in a sense. But obviously, Makoto Shinkai is kind of known for his romances and his idealistic portrayal of love to an extent, kind of. I mean, what are your thoughts on that and the way in which the relationship between these two hearts is portrayed um, in the OVA? I would agree on the most part and say, yeah, it's really idealistic. But also I would say that the good thing about it is that he explores sort of the inner conflict within Mikako and how it's not so straightforward as just they love each other and that's it. He kind of tries to nuance it in that perspective when you get that scene when she's in the classroom basically talking to herself and trying to console herself. The thing I also like is when Noboru, he has almost a learning experience from the entire thing and I like that because it's not purely based on the romance but it's about what we can learn or take from relationships. In the case of Noboru, it's the fact that he's grown into a better person and he's he has moved on partially, but he's also just learned new things within his life and has been able to take his life forward. I, I appreciate Shinkai being able to not only put the romance as the core, as we get in a lot of romance stories where it's, Oh, I will die for this love and that's it. The love is my life and there's nothing beyond it. But it's really cool how he's able to take something from it and it's almost a stepping stone for him as a person, which I think is quite important. Yes, because a little bit from the beginning, after Makako had first left Earth with the UN army, Noboru seemed kind of despondent because he acknowledged that she was his strength in one of the emails that he sent back to her. He acknowledged that she was his strength and he said, I had no job and so on and so forth. But as time went on, he kind of found strength within himself to be able to progress in life. And it's kind of like his love for her kind of helped him to become a better person and kind of kept him going, despite the fact that she wasn't physically present, which was quite nice to see the development of Noboru's character and him growing into an actual productive member of society. So what first started as despondency kind of ended up as hope. And I kind of feel like, at least in the works of Shinkai that I've experienced before, it's kind of a theme that he excels in putting across, like drawing hope from even the most despondent situations. Yeah, for sure. So taking it back to the animation, what did you think of the quality of it? What did you think of the transitions 
between 2D and 3D animation and so on and so forth. Bearing in mind that the entire OVA, I believe, was drawn and animated digitally on a computer. I don't think there was any traditional 2D cell animation. Overall, I liked it. I don't think it's an eyesore as we get with a lot of, say, 3D CGI today. And if we even take works like Assassin's Gridman, it shows that it can be done and done really well, although this was done 2002, obviously. But even that, I would say that it compares quite well. He's able to mix the two together in a way that doesn't seem sort of like one spilling into the other. So when we have the shots of the city and all of that, the most we get is the environment, which is animated in that sort of 3D fashion, whereas the characters and all that, as well as the mechas, they're separated out so they don't feel as if, you know, you have a, what looks like a 2D sprite within a 3D mecha, and then that looks kind of intrusive, and then it, it doesn't look very good that way, which, I'm not going to lie, I feel like a lot of modern anime has tried to do, but it just sticks out like a sore thumb, so... I think that shows his talent for cinematography and understanding what should go in what shots and what should go in another. He's really particular with that. I think he's in general really particular with it within all of his works. And on, on that note, I think this just, as we've said multiple times, proves how talented Shinkai is because if we go back to the fact that this is a work that's done completely by him, mostly besides the music, he has an understanding for all these areas, which usually there'll be a team working on. And for him to understand everything has really worked for him as a director because he knows how to direct, he knows how to produce, he knows how to animate, and then he can direct other people to do that. So not to move too far away from Hoshinoko, but I think it just works for him as a whole. And that just proves his talent. Absolutely, 110%. Personally, I thought the quality of the animation was pretty decent, as I previously said, considering that he made this by himself and didn't have the budget of a major studio behind him. I feel like the 3D mecha animation was done relatively well. As a mecha anime nut, I really, really enjoyed that part. I feel like the design of the mechas was really well done. I personally would one day like to see model kits or action figures of the mecha that featured in Hoshi no Koe. I know it's probably never going to happen or maybe it'll happen in like a 20 year anniversary Blu-ray box set that comes out and then like I'll have to pay overly extortionate import prices for Japanese Blu-rays because for some reason Blu-rays are incredibly expensive in Japan. Yeah. So that is something that could happen. Maybe, yeah. So, Jamal, what do you think that Makoto Shinkai could have done differently in his approach to creating Hoshino Koe, whether it be with character development, animation, or shot composition, etc.? Obviously, I think I would have hoped that the mecha were animated in 2D. I think that's just from hindsight, though. It's quite biased because I'm coming from a time where we can prove that those can be done in 2D. But I do think that's a really good thing in how he's able to just do something different because if we take other works at this time, that's what they were doing. So it's a good way of standing out as well as, you know, um, conforming to stuff like budget and all. I, would, I, w I don't know if there's much I would change. Besides that, I think it's 
it's a stepping stone for him as a director. And so I, I kind of stand with the belief that every work sort of defines you as, as a creator. And so I don't think changing anything would be very good for him because Fair enough. that narrative is so crucial in him as a filmmaker. If anything, that's like the first big romance he needed to lead him down this chain and create things like Kimi no Nawa and Weathering With You. So sadly, I wouldn't change anything. Personally, I feel like I possibly would have expanded it, even though he has done an excellent job of telling an expansive narrative within a confined amount of time. I still feel like it could have done with maybe more time for like mecha battles and things. I also think with that expanded amount of time, I would have done more of an examination of Mikako's psyche and the effects that war would have had on it, such as PTSD and so on and so forth. I feel like that could have been something that would have added another layer of complexity to Hoshino Koe. But other than that, I don't think I would have changed much, to be perfectly honest. I think it's a great example of what Shinkai would become as an anime director. Um, so yeah, I really enjoyed it. Do you want to just sum up your final thoughts on Hoshino Koe with a single sentence? And then we'll go into social media and so on and so forth. Yeah, so I guess my final sentence would be beautiful and essential. Really, it, it was needed and it's a really good work for what he had to work with, yeah. So if I had to sum up Hoshino Koe in one sentence, I would say beautiful mecha OVA with surprising depth. Uh, I think that's actually a a way better one to to find it, yeah. Jamal, where can we find you on social media? On social media, you can find me on Twitter at GetInTheMecha. I have all my podcast stuff there. I, I tweet Sakuga nerd stuff. Um, yeah, that's really it. You can find us on Twitter at BuildCasters. You can find me personally on Twitter at the macabre chap. So that's The Macabre or Macabre and then Chap. You can find my brother-in-arms Sentai5 on Twitter at Sentai5, and you can find our mandem in the Legion of Boom on Twitter at Legion of Boom. That's L E G 10 N of Boom. And on that note, Buildcast is out. Say bye, Jamal. Bye. Thank you for having me. No problem. This episode of Buildcasters was produced by the Macabre Chap and Sentai 5 with music provided by Versi Jones. Battle Battle ended. ended. Battle ended.